just when you thought it was safe. Along comes the film file. Yes, the film show for film geeks by film geeks, episode 160. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm a very tired Andy Meakin. A very tired Andy Meakin. A very tired Andy Meakin. I'm on a run of night shifts at the moment because we've got a, quite a few holidays uh, between the managers and supervisors this weekend and I'm exhausted. I've still got tonight to get through and we lost an hour overnight because we're still doing that thing with British summertime yeah. that makes Just leave no it sense now. at all. Leave it now. It will be fine. Stay, stay with this one. I'm happy with this one. It was a wartime thing, but it was also suggested before wartime. But in the UK, did you know who it was who was responsible for the campaign? I would say it? no, but you can tell me. William Willett in 1907, who published a leaflet called The Waste of Daylight, encouraging people to get out of bed earlier when the daylight starts. And that's so they could work. He is the great-great-grandfather of Coldplay's lead singer, Chris Martin. So it turns out he was responsible for two <laughs> annoying things. Just two. Oh, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a list. I've got a list. <laughs> he was a very keen golfer and would get upset when his games got cut short because the sun went down. And that's one of his reasons for wanting to do it. So all these people say, oh, it's for the farming community. Farmers go, no, it's not. It doesn't bother <laughs> us. People who say it was, just be- it was just because of wartime savings and things like that. Nope, wasn't particularly. Germany introduced it for that. We didn't. So it is because Chris Martin's great-great-grandfather likes playing golf. Fact of the day. See, you're not here to just learn about nope. films. You're here to just be educated. This will pop up in a pub quiz in the next couple of weeks. I guarantee it because pub landlords, when they come up with the quizzes, always go, oh, the clocks just went back. Why did that happen? That'll make a good quiz question. So, <laughs> Well, I didn't later. know that. This is what my mind goes through when I'm not getting enough sleep. <laughs> I start researching things and looking things up and just getting all hyper about them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm, I've got a day off tomorrow and I'm you just going to collapse. Should we just jump straight into things then, Andy? Before we do, I just want to just say, uh, in addition to that, complicating this week was the fact that I've had to get used to new systems. For yes, well, uh, we, we used to use one particular method and now we have discovered that that yep. preferred method has now changed that we have to pay for it. Boo. So we're trying out a new method. So so this week, it may sound a little bit different. We are, I feel like one of those scientists in movies that we're experimenting as we're going on. And whatever the outcome is, we may have created a monster. I'm just going to put on a great big, like, what looks like a piece of, like, transparent plastic as a helmet, which is supposed to be some sci-fi tech, but I'll probably suffocate in there. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'll start lowering myself down into this pit of editing yeah, so if, if this week's episode sounds a bit a bit not up to the scratch and polish that we used to have, bear with us because we're having to find new ways to do it. And at the moment, we're we're using Podcastle, which seems it, okay. It so sounds far. like it, it is Return to the Podcastle. The Podcastle. By Roger Corman. The, the film Podcastle for Film Geeks. By so film geeks. what kind of a show do we have? Well, busy as ever with lots and lots of chats. But before any of that, let's talk about this week's you forgot our question. I did. Week, didn't you? <laughs> I did. You yes. did, yeah. Please leave that in. Yes, I did, but I was being I was being professional and trying to to work my way back in. It reminds me of my old radio days of going. Oh, really? Should have talked about the news. Okay. So before any of that, let's talk about our social challenge. 
Uh, Andy, how did we do last week with our social challenge? Remind the great public, our our loving crowd, what the question was that we set. So with The Last of Us being on TV and being so successful, and the excitement of the upcoming Mario Brothers movie on the horizon, it got us wondering, what video game franchise would you like to see adapted to the big or small screen that hasn't been done yet, or was done so poorly in the past that it deserves another shot? And we've had quite a good resp- few responses. We'll start off. He didn't get his answer in last week, but I still gave him the plug. This week, he jumped on it and he got his answer through the Spotify um, responses. Carl, hi, Carl, says, I tried to think outside the box okay. with this one. I'd love to see a good old slasher rock, of Rockstar Games Manhunt game. Yeah, I can see Manhunt would make a, quite a brutal game. As long as it's not done by Uwe Boll, I'll be more than happy with that one. Over on the socials, Stevie Dan 1969 wants Driver saying get Hugh Jackman to play John Tanner. Oh, I am down with that one. Driver was so... It was influenced by those 70s like car chases in films. And yeah. so it's the perfect thing to translate back. I had that on PS2, if I remember correctly. First one was on PS1. First one and two were on PS1, and then it shifted to PS2 for Driver San Francisco. And it's Driver San Francisco in particular, which Stevie Dan says was his favourite. Great music in it as well, so it'll be a cool film. Parappa the Rapper was suggested by Lizzybeth. And uh, yeah, I'd watch an animated Parappa the Rapper going around going, kick, punch, it's all in the mind. Sounds good to me. Craig Wright said, God of War and Rainbow Six. He doesn't think the book's ever been made into a film. No, um, I'm not sure myself whether the book. I think he's right. I'm going to go with, I think you're right. God of War. It's particularly the more recent God of War games, I think would be absolute. That, that would be Last of Us over again. It would be that real story-focused series that could really deliver. So, yeah, I'm, I'm there with God of War. Dennis Obi would love Horizon Zero Dawn movie. Even though he loves Zelda games, of those he's played, have their thoughts that it could work. He also says that Super Mario looks kind of fun. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is being adapted at this point in time by Netflix for a series. So good news there for Dennis. You threw in Days Gone. Yeah. I've not got around to playing Days oh, Gone Oh, I thought yet. you had. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's perfect. It's basically The Walking Dead meets Easy Rider. Very Last of Us inspired open world game, but... Um... There's a really strong lead character and a strong narrative that would would work in a uh, work in a movie or an even better work in a TV series because it's quite convoluted in places. Over on Macedon, Jack the non-abrasive says we bowling. Give it the big Lebowski treatment. Okay, why not? Yes, I'd, I'd be down I'd with that. Love we bowling. <laughs> I'll tell you another one while yep. we're at it, and I think it's I think we've mentioned that it might be in production somewhere. Streets of Rage. Yeah, it was last early in last year's news. Yeah, I, I, nothing's nothing's happened since. Yeah, it's kind of stalled somewhere, but this happens with a lot of projects. Pierce at Mastodon, Metal Gear would be cool. See, I'm surprised that we've not got mm. a Metal Gear film by this point. It's been talked about ever since that that early PlayStation One game came out. That is it going to get adapted? And at moments, it was like picked up for options and then stopped. But it's such a solid story based espionage series it just makes sense can i add a, a little bit of film trivia in there that yes. david hater who voiced snake went on to write the x-men movie and also wrote the watchman script as well not just a great voice but also a solid writer um other games that pierce thinks could be good a ghost of toshima i think that's in development with the director of john wick i've, I've got a feeling i've yeah. read that somewhere uh, Splinter Cell and the Fallout series. 
Matak79 suggests Just Cause. I could see them being a great set of... Um, that could be a great franchise of solid action adventure. Uh, Lone Wolf says Tic-Tac-Toe. Even <laughs> saying aliens come from the centre of the earth to challenge humanity in a life-or-death game of Tic-Tac-Toe, starring The Rock and Chris Tucker. Do you remember, you remember Battleship? So it's yes. kind of a bit like that, how... <laughs> Had the flimsiest of ideas to tie a film to. I replied to say I can see the poster tagline now. It's naught to get cross about. Oh. Uh, and Low Wolf replied, the rock throws off his sunglasses walking away from an explosion. Just call me Triple X. <laughs> it's basically, he's basically gone the battleship approach there where you just take something that you can't really adapt and just go, we just make an act, generic action film and just call it it. Uh, Patrick said, for a repeat of the jokes of, on Slice of Sci-Fi, Joust or Frogger, but would really like to see Horizon Zero Dawn, a better Assassin's Creed, or a Gears of War. And all three of them are in development at Netflix, so let's see how they flash out. Joust, I'm, I'm down with that. I loved that game. And back in 2007, there was a movie announced as being in development, but that entered development hell after the Warner Brothers picked up the ownership of it when the company that was developing it went bust, and it's been sat in a little dusty box somewhere waiting for someone to open that box and go video games so maybe we'll see that comeback harvey morton would love to see a splinter cell film adaptation used to love those games also red dead redemption i mean red dead redemption just basically screams for like yeah. an adaptation as of a western um, and also he wants he wants an actual tv quiz show adapted from the buzz series of games on the ps2 and i i can see that because they were a great, they, the whole thing was a was a basically a, a TV quiz show done yeah. for around your home with like interactive buzzers. I think it'd be great. Why have things like that not been picked up for ongoing services? Lindsay Wise, Monkey Island animated series. Yeah, as long as it retains the humour, and as long as it retains the ridiculous insults that pirates throw at each other. I'm there. Chris Porden, Deus Ex maybe. Yep, yeah. and. Don't know that one. Voron suggested Zork, which is the old one that used to shout at you from arcades back in the uh, early 80s. You'd walk past an arcade at Blackpool and all you hear is like, <laughs> what was that saying? Was that kind of some kind of voice? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's a fun game. Wesley Alexander, another one for Red Dead Redemption. Easily yep. one of the best video game stories. Oh, yep. love it. Uh, Stephen Young, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver and Blood Omen series. Shh, definitely. Don't know those at all. <laughs> they're off your radar yeah and dave, dave van gogh would love an anime cartoon of bomberman or little big planet you're just throwing words at me now andy you're just throwing words at me <laughs> some more good mortal kombat tekken and street fighter movies and he's looking forward to the announced assassin's creed netflix series because it has to be better than the film i know all of these games you do you're just very selective and cherry pick I do, I do. I, I know what I like and I stick with what I like, I think, is, is the best way to describe it. I'm sticking with my original suggestion from last week where Jet Set Willy, in a hangover style of comedy manner, it's waking up after the night of a big party and trying to put the life back together. And if that's successful, the prequel movie, Manic Miner, is going to be a disaster movie set in a mine. In fact, I'm funding that because I've watched Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I've seen that anyone with a camcorder can get a cinema release. So I am yeah. making Jet Set Willy the movie. I don't know. I don't know whether to be inspired by your review last week for <laughs> uh, um, for that movie, or just want to pack it all in now. You should feel sorry for me for watching it. That's what you should feel. <laughs> anyway, so what's this week's question? This is going to be a, a bit of an odd one, and I hope people embrace it. 
But if they were going to make a biopic of your life, who would play you? So who would be the star playing you in a biopic of your life? Who would you choose? Who would be the perfect representation on the big screen? Answers across all of our socials, please, and we will read out the best one next week. I mean, clearly it's Brian Cranston for me. Yeah, I can see that. There's, a, there's, there's no ifs or buts about it. And for the younger version, Ryan Reynolds, just because. Just because. <laughs> for me, it would have to be Julian Sands around the mm. time of when he was in Warlock. Because yep. I went to see Warlock at a cinema and somebody thought I was Julian Sands. Did you sign the autograph for them? Oh, was t- <laughs> I have signed so many autographs <laughs> where people go, I know you. And I'll go, yeah, you know, you don't. I'm thinking, no, you don't. Um, and then have to say, I was in um, Australia signing autographs and I didn't know who I was. But they, I kept saying, I'm not who you think I am. They're going, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> so I just signed a whole ton of autographs. I've got a photograph. I must, I must put it on uh, I must put it on Facebook of me signing autographs, telling this woman, I'm not who you possibly, who who you may think I am. Living the, living the dream, living someone else's life. (laughs) Yes. Living the dream. (laughs) I wish you got their paycheck, whoever they are. So uh, we'll read those out next week. But what have we got for you on this week's show? Well, of course, we've got a deep dive into the 1973 I'm going to vaguely use the word classic, Lost Horizon. (laughs) I can't wait for us to talk about this one. I can't wait for it. I'm I'm desperate to see what you're going to say. So we'll be tackling Lost Horizon, the musical version starring Peter Finch and Michael York. Stay tuned to find out more about that classic. We've got reviews of... Uh, I've seen Infinity Pool and The Boston Strangler, and we both had chance to pop out and watch... John Wick 4. We've got chatter, we've got debate, we've got any old nonsense we can throw at you. But before any of that, we've got the box office and we've got the news. So I'm guessing, Andy, we've got John Wick 4 in our sights for leading the box office. But where does that leave Shazam, which, as we said last week, hadn't performed to any expectation? Well, maybe the director, because he said something very odd on uh, did you see this he said something very odd on the socials about not being surprised yeah there's been a lot of to and froing on the socials from stars studio everyone involved in the production trying to they're trying to work out why it's a failure uh, but him saying that he wasn't surprised because he's he's kind of seen the signs with the superhero movies but also with dc and how dc's been now and the whole aspect of like a huge chunk of people out there now know that these films aren't really going to matter because it's all getting rebooted. So he's kind of just gone, well, I'm just putting it out there now. It's done. Uh, it's a shame because uh, I yeah. think that there would have been a lot more. I mean, there's been all the mudslinging going on between The Rock and Zachary Levi as well. Yeah, I saw that as well. Apparently, they wanted to have a cameo of Shazam in the mid-credits or end-credits of, of Black Adam. But The Rock put his foot down and, like, stick his lip out because he doesn't like to think that the character that he's playing could be a bad guy he, he's just been very petulant and refused it it's just become all a complicated mess of everyone trying to blame everyone else for everything that's gone wrong when at the end of the day there's only one person to blame and he's got a snyder con coming up yeah <laughs> yeah so he did it in in the perfect Zack snyder way which is he, he released just enough information to get the fan base gnawing at the bit <laughs> and then basically uh, set this idea of expectation, but turns out, well... Well, you know, he did his uh, very cryptic thing, which all his rabid fan base who 
struggle to scrape a brain cell between them started saying, oh, he's got Netflix have picked him up. He's going to be making more films. Whereas all the rest of us who know how to actually decipher the very simple cryptic messages that he put out went, oh, it's a three days. He's done three films for DC. So he's going to be showing one of them on one day, one on the other, one on the other. It'll be some kind of convention to celebrate his works, won't it? Turns out those of us who aren't fans of Zack Snyder worked out straight away what it was. But the fans of Zack Snyder are still slathering away and saying, he's got to be announcing something there. He's now posted out a photo like for the whole event, which is this Superman statue image. But he's cha- made some changes, including like he's got his hand up. And it looks to me like the hand is saying bye-bye. It's a, this is the end, or reaching for the sun moment from the actual films that these people are fans of. However, they're deciphering it going, oh, well, he's, he's got all four fingers and a thumb there. So that means there's two more films because there's one, two, three, four, five on there. It's, <laughs> oh, don't think that high. It's, it, I mean, Snyder himself has gone, oh, the fans are out there talking about it. We'll reveal more after the convention, but it's great to see them talking about it. It's great to see them getting more and more toxic, is it, Zach? Thank you. Anyway, anyway, moving away from the toxicity of it, um, this event is taking place in Los Angeles. It's not going to be a worldwide event. It's so it's sold out within five minutes. The tickets were going from over $100 up to $300 for the events. Friday will be Man of Steel screened with a post-film Q&A panel with Snyder at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And then Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice on the Saturday. And then Zack Snyder's Justice League will host a full-colour IMAX screening and post-film Q&A panel at Universal City Walk on Sunday, the April the 30th. All the tickets sold out, like I said, within five minutes. The toxic elements of the fan base going, imagine if that was replicated around the world with every cinema showing it on the same night. Yet it wouldn't do anything because uh, you don't understand how things like this work. It's sold out fast because, A, the fan base have limited seats and they're going to rush to it. Particularly in America, people seem to be quite happy to jump on a plane to go to the other side of the coast, et cetera, et cetera. And B, it is raising money, and we need to remember this, it is raising money for a good cause. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Autumn Snyder Tribute Fund, all the donations, all the money is going towards those two causes. So as toxic an element as his fan base can be, we have to respect the fact that Zack Snyder, yes, he's doing a convention weekend, which is celebrating himself, which is the most egotistical thing that I can actually think of. But he's doing it for the right reasons, because the, the loss of his daughter obviously impacted him in a huge way. And this is his way of giving back to the people who helped support him and his family during that tragic time. Well, before we get sidetracked anymore, let's just uh, actually give the box office figures. We got a bit carried away there. So in the US this weekend, it's all about John Wick, as we expected. John Wick Chapter 4 opened with $73.8 million, knocking Creed 3 down into second place on $10.4 million. Shazam! Fury of the Gods struggling to keep itself in the top five, $9.3 million only just ahead of Scream in fourth place with 8.3 million. 65, about to drop out of the top five on 3.2 million. Here in the UK, much of the same with John Wick in first place, taking 5.3 million. Shazam Fury of the Gods holding into second place in the UK with another 1.09 million added to its total. Creed 3 is on 731,000 to take third place. Scream 6 in fourth place with 597,000. And Alleluia in fifth place with 463,000. John Wick's worldwide opening total is 146 million, which means it's no surprise that they're already talking about where the series can go next. 
Creed 3 is up to 246 million worldwide so far. And Shazam! Fury of the Gods has only just scraped past 102 million. Not good signs for the future of that character in the DC franchise. Uh, let's talk on developments at Marvel because there has been a major staff change. Yes, very, very unexpected and came kind of out of nowhere, but reports since have suggested that this has been on the horizon for a while. High-profile Marvel Studios veteran Victoria Alonso has exited the company. And she's been there since the since the beginning, hasn't she? Yeah, since the very first Iron Man film. She's been executive producer on all of its titles since the first Avengers films hit. And the reasons for the exit, oh, again, it's the mudslinging going on. It's everyone's got an idea and it's been thrown backwards and forwards as to why she's left or been booted, sacked, whatever. Apparently, looks like the official word will be that part of her contract with Marvel and Disney had that she cannot work for a competitor studio. Which happens in every business that you can you can imagine. She produced the Oscar-nominated non-Marvel film Argentina 1985 for a foreign distributor and studio. And whilst apparently she'd been spoken to about that and told that, like, you know, you can't go out and promote it, you can't big up the film, you, you know, you can't be challenging it, even though it's, you wouldn't really say that Argentina 1985 is a competitor to a Marvel film, yeah. but it's a competitor studio. However, because it got Oscar nominated, she was then quite heavily involved on the campaign trail. And then when she was spied on the red carpet at the Oscars alongside the filmmakers of Argentina 19, 1985, apparently that was the last straw for Marvel. Now, other reports have come out saying that she's be, always been very outspoken. She's always been very strong-minded and she's disagreed with some policies and processes, including some political machinations that have gone on with Disney and um, certain Bill of Rights legislations that were getting forced through by the right wing of yeah. American government. And she spoke out against Bob Chapek quite a few times. And that started a very fractitious relationship with her in the studio. And so this looks like it's been bubbling away for a while. And the studio have just been looking for a reason that they can properly get rid of a four, which suggests to me constructive dismissal. But I'm an outsider. I don't know the full details. Yeah. Her lawyers are saying that there's a lot more to the story than what's been reported. So I'm not taking sides on this. I just think that it's a... Hey, because we don't know. We, we just don't know, yeah. do we? We don't know who's at fault here. We know that she's strong-minded, but you shouldn't remove people for being strong-minded because particularly if you're going to just say, this woman's strong-minded, how dare she like speak out? What? Are we living in an incel world these days? No. Everyone should have a chance to speak back against your bosses if you don't agree with something. But we don't know how far this all went. We will get to the root of this because it is looking like it's going to end up in courts, this. She's basically suing for unfair dismissal. And the studio are adamantly saying that, no, she's left for her own reasons. Let's see how this pans out. But it is a bit messy. And it does, it, it, it has kind of shook up the Marvel uh, film world, especially on the wake of some not so great releases from Marvel. Yeah. On the flip side at Marvel, Owen Wilson's going to be um, popping up in Deadpool 3, apparently. Yeah, I've heard that. It's a, it's a rumour, isn't it? It's not, not confirmed. But it kind of makes sense because it's it's already been speculated that Deadpool 3 is going to take the multiverse approach and why not have Owen Wilson pop in uh, representing the Time Variance Authority within there? It was announced over the internet, so of course it's true, is that Thunderbolt star Hannah John Kamen had left the movie. However, she has claimed 
that she is a thousand percent in the movie despite recent reports claiming otherwise which makes me think it's one of those things that somebody somewhere on the internet said a thing and everybody picked up on it as a story it tends to always be uh, the female yeah, characters does, that it? all these false stories come out it's, it's almost like there's a certain toxic element of males who feel threatened by female presences and films you, and tv and powerful positions which i've that. encountered a fair bit of this week as you've been watching on twitter yes <laughs> and Lawrence fishburne has revealed that he will kind of suit up as goliath in the second season of what if so he played the character of bill foster in ant-man and the wasp and he was something of an antagonist the character ultimately wanted to help ghost overcome the illness that was causing her to fade into nothingness anyway turns out that he is going to be playing the original character which way back in the day of when that character was released was known as black goliath because all superheroes if you weren't uh, white you were known as black something so he was black goliath so looking yeah. forward to because just in case Fishburne, you got confused yes yeah well he's not white goliath so he must be he must be black goliath then and reportedly breaking news this morning getting out of bed and reading the Whilst DC have having have been having various legal issues with some of their stars, Marvel may be facing it as well as actor Jonathan Majors, who has been wowing audiences even when the film itself hasn't wowed them in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and also stole so many scenes in Creed 3, has been reportedly arrested in New York City Saturday morning, according to TMZ. Uh, the arrest came after police responded to a 911 call inside an apartment in Chelsea, according to a statement from the New York Police Department provided to THR and the RAP, telling them that a preliminary investigation determined that a 33-year-old male, Majors, was involved in a domestic dispute with a 30-year-old female. The victim informed police she was assaulted. Officers placed the 33-year-old male into custody without incident. The victim sustained minor, minor injuries to her head and her neck, and was removed to an area hospital in a stable condition. The actor was arrested on charges of strangulation, assault and harassment, according to the spokesperson. Majors is no longer in police custody, and his relationship with the woman is apparently domestic, according to the statement. A representative for Majors has told all outlets that he has done nothing wrong. We look forward to clearing his name and clearing this up. So again, let's wait for the facts to all develop before we start throwing mud but it's it's got to be a problem pr wise for majors who's on an amazing rise yeah. at the moment and a studio who have him heavily heavily connected to all of their upcoming films talking of, of sort of knee-jerk reactions have you seen the story about rick and morty co-creator uh, justin Rowland? turns out that the allegations made against him uh as, as proven that there's uh, I don't think there wasn't enough evidence whether he's been cleared or not and it turns out that the studio had uh, sacked him from his project so yeah. interestingly see where that goes now will he want to return or I don't know yeah because everyone decided straight away of his guilt online and this is the problem that we've got in this day and age is that something goes online and all the trolls and all the toxic elements online instantly take sides. And it's the loudest voice wins in de demonizing yeah. one party. What Rather than, you know, letting this, what's, what's it called? It's a new concept, legal system play out. <laughs> yeah, investigation. And weigh things up and give us the facts. 
that's why you know the news news that we've revealed this week like some of the shocking stuff we're not going to take sides because we haven't seen the facts we don't know the facts let's wait for the facts to flesh out because you know justin roiland's career was basically destroyed as a result and to end up with like it it just getting dismissed from court it's like well okay so does he get his job back and like you say does he want his job back would you want to return to a company who clearly didn't want to stand by him yeah they were quite quite willing to throw him under the bus from reports he's not the nicest of people but with his dark humor anyway would you expect him to be yeah yeah probably not but like you say whether there's just not enough evidence we don't know but there wasn't enough to say that he's definitely guilty so we shouldn't have all taken sides in that one yeah. stop taking sides people that's the model of this week's episode wait for the facts to come out and then make your own judgments so there's been some interesting news on ai usage this week hasn't there yeah yeah there is and uh you're gonna tell us more yeah so there's been a lot of debate and discussion about the use of ai systems in creations at the moment we know that people are using them to make stupid looking pictures online with dodgy little cheap free ones that don't look like anything but you can get a good ai to make decent art but ai as we know isn't self-creative so whenever ai makes art or writes speeches etc all it's doing is it's grabbing bits and pieces that it can find online and combining it together so if you type into an ai chatbot tell me about the battle of independence it's not going to go oh well i learned this in history and start talking it's just going to go wikipedia bosh it all together and sometimes they come across well and we know that the education system is now stressing that yep. some students have discovered that you can just type in a question that has been handed out to them and they will get a 14 page essay handed to them just to, just to print out so it's causing problems for that but it's also been causing some issues within the um, filmmaking and tv series making industry because some writers have been using ai to harness ideas or to refine something. Some have been using it to try to put a whole script out there. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was (laughs) just an AI-generated script. In fact, I'm sure that it was AI-generated actors. That's how bad it was. Uh, So I've got a a kind of an example of that. I've tried it. I put in a song title that I was working on on a piece of music uh, for some lyrics that I was having a problem with, and just to see what it would turn out. And I have to be honest, it was it was rubbish. There was no soul to it. It was it was just rhyming words. It didn't have anything that was thematic to it. All it did was was put put out a, a series of, of rhyming words within some sort of a loose context of of the title. So that's where it it ultimately falls apart because there's no nuance to it. Mm. It has nothing that a creative person would bring to it because a creative person will bring personal experiences some amount of ideology some amount of of context some amount of 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 thought process all it does is give you a bog standard set of words based around the title that i gave it and there was nothing out of it i i I couldn't say oh that was good that will stand out because it was just so basic and 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 that's that's going to be the ongoing problem because the creative process needs soul it needs empathy it needs uh it needs a spark of humanity to it and and you just don't get it you just get you get something and i've seen it with essays it's okay when yeah. you're be kind of gets away with it when you're just just talking about facts but try to put something in it that needs needs that spark of 
interpretation. Interpretation, yeah. Then it, it's you may as well do what they did in Animal House and go and find the exam questions in the bin and then print your own version because it it just doesn't give you anything other than a satisfactory approach to it without without meaning. Uh, the Writers Guild of America at one point said this past week that they were looking at the like use of AI and people took that as the wrong way. They were like, oh, they're going to start telling, saying that you can just get rid of screenwriters and have AIs. That's not what they were doing. They wanted to get an understanding of it and clarify its own stance on it and put rules in place. The rules that they've gone for, the aim of it is all to ensure that it can't be used to undermine writers, working standards, including compensation residuals, separate rights and credits. According to the posting, AI can't be used as source material to create MBA-covered writing or rewrite MBA-covered work, and AI-generated text cannot be considered in determining writing credits. Writers may not be assigned AI-generated material to adapt, nor may AI software generate cover covered literary material. So basically, what it's saying is that you can't just go on and like, give me an idea for a sci-fi film like Star Wars, and you get a generic plot idea. Because the, the worry was that some producers might go, oh, I can't think of something, but um, this is really popular. Cowboy films with zombies. And they'll get a generic idea that they then turn to a screenwriter and go, oh, I've had this idea. Can you adapt it? No. If it gets found out to be an AI one, they've gone against all the guild. Um, a studio can make a writer aware of AI-generated content. It's research material only, and it has no role in guild-covered work, nor in the chain of title of the intellectual property. As the Guild have pointed out, AI software doesn't create anything. It just regurgitates various bits of other information that it finds, and it can't distinguish between copyright protected and public domain content. And they could face a huge legal issue if your script suddenly has lines of dialogue from Robocop. On the flip side, over at the gaming tech Ubisoft, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, and Ghost Recon publisher Ubisoft announced that they're working on a new generative AI tool that they claim will assist its scriptwriters. Now, clarification on this. It's not they're going to be writing stories for games, so we're not going to get a, a Ubisoft game that seems very similar to Last of Us. Instead, it's for the non-player characters' reactions and personalities that they script some of the dialogue to how the NPCs will react to different things. Because at the moment, there's writing teams that have to try to think up everything that a player character will try to do in front of an AI to provoke a response. Okay. I think I'm still with you. Every time on GTA that you bump into someone and they respond like, hey, where are you going, buddy? All, all that. And how you react to them. If you turn around and wave a fist, sometimes they back off, sometimes they don't. And there has to be vocal reactions. Someone has to think through all of them at the moment, which is quite complex. So the thinking that AIs could make this a simpler process, that they will auto-react to different responses and find something that would fit that NPC's reaction. It's still in development. It's caused, again, some writers who work on games to go, not sure how I feel about this. Taking somebody out of a gig, aren't you? They're insisting that the writers would still have to be involved because they'd have to look over it to make sure it's not like replied in a a family-friendly game. Hey, MF, what are you doing? Because the AI won't be able to distinguish what's foul language and what isn't. Let's remember that. So... There will still be someone there to look over it and edit it, but it has caused some concerns. One of the writers at Sony Santa Monica, Alana Pierce, has said, as a writer, having to edit AI-generated scripts dialogue sounds far more time-consuming than just writing my own temporary lines. I'd far prefer AAA studios use whatever budget it costs to make tools like this. Instead, hire more writers. AIs are here. They're not going away anytime soon, and it's 
its impact on art, media and entertainment is going to be hotly debated within the next year or so. Absolutely. Talking hotly debated. So Robert Downey Jr. is looking to star in a remake of the Alfred Hitchcock classic Vertigo. Yes. Uh, and as you can expect, the reaction to this online has been, how dare they, burning torches. Um, we're going to storm the castle and destroy everyone involved in this project because uh, everyone always gets really uppity about the A, the word remake, despite the fact remakes have been part of cinema history since, you know, ooh, 1902. And B, you're mentioning a classic. Yeah. You're mentioning Hitchcock. And yes, it is a classic. The original Hitchcock film came out in 1958 and it was seen as one of his best suspense films that he that he'd brought to the scene the story was adapted from a novel dientre les morts among the dead uh, and it was adapted into a story of john scotty ferguson played by uh, james stewart a san francisco police detective forced into retirement when he develops a severe fear of heights and he's reluctantly dragged back into the action now out of all the people online who say this is an abomination it should be made how many of you have actually watched the film yeah. or are you just taking the idea that it's a classic as people have told you? Because uh, I meet a lot of people who admit that they've not watched a lot of Hitchcock's films. When, when did you last watch it? Because was this one that you watched 30 years ago and you've not seen since? So it's not that beholden to you. I've rewatched Vertigo recently and I still love it. But it's one of those films that I can acknowledge that a modern audience would struggle because the pacing and the setup for older films audiences were very different engines back then people accepted a different kind of pacing it's still a absolute classic yeah. of a film but for a modern audience they might not be able to see that and this is why remakes need to be made because it gives a chance for a fresh audience to hopefully experience if it's if it comes across well if it gets adapted well they get to experience something that has been a classic and timeless and maybe maybe just maybe it'll help them get back to watching the original. And on the flip side, if it's a bad film, the original's still there. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. It still exists. No, nobody cancels the original. It's still out there, and it's still a classic. Unless it's George Lucas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's been brought to us from Paramount, and Stephen Knight, yes, he of Peaky Blinders, uh, is on the script duty, and apparently Downey Jr. is seriously considered for the lead role. So it could be an adaptation of the movie or it might go back to the original novel at this stage we don't know but we are interested to see where it goes and talking of Stephen Knight Andy we were talking last week about the cancelled Star Wars projects and and one of the names that cropped up was Damon Lindelof uh, and Damon Lindelof isn't moving forward with his Star Wars movie but it turns out and he's looking really busy at the moment that Stephen Knight is to replace him Yes, uh, it's all rumours and speculation at the moment, but Lucasfilm are hosting the Star Wars celebration next month, and it's expected that they're going to announce three new movies. One of the most likely ones to be announced will be Stephen Knight, who's been already announced as being involved in writing a Star Wars project that hopefully will come to fruition. We don't know what's happening these days. That's planned to be directed by Charmin Obeyed Chinoy. Other possible rumours of confirmed announcements of films being made is the oft-rumoured Taika Waititi film and the Sean Levy project. Knight took over from Lindelof and Justin Britt Gibson, um, who departed their project recently. There's been a lot of reshuffle behind the scenes, but we'll know more next month after Star Wars Celebration. 
as to what the future of that aspect of Lucasfilm is. On the other side of Lucasfilm, the proposed Indiana Jones TV series has now been cancelled. Oh, right. Oh, that's disappointing. Disney have told Lucasfilm to focus solely on Star Wars for now. And you can understand why, because Star Wars is in a bit of a mess. Yeah. This is all the result of Chapek's reign at Disney, that he pushed the studios to do this, 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 this. And Marvel is suffering from it. Lucasfilm is suffering from it. Iger has wanted to rein things back in. And like we've been saying multiple times, quality over quantity. So focus on Star Wars, get that back on the big screen with an audience. Then maybe we'll see an Indiana Jones TV series get greenlit further down the road. Because don't forget, we've got that next film due out this year. And if that sells well, they're going to want to cash in on that. But if it doesn't, they don't want to waste money on a series that people probably won't watch. And it's probably not helped seeing how poorly received Willow was. Um, that's legacy sequel. Some quick newses to round off all the news. Gattaca is getting a TV series. Homeland creators Howard Gordon and Alec Ganser are re-teaming for Showtime for a TV series adaptation of Andrew Nichols' highly acclaimed 1997 Gattaca. Um, did you ever watch Gattaca? I did. I thought it was a great film. I thought it was really stylish. I thought it was a very interesting take on a very familiar sci-fi idea that went in a direction that I, I wasn't sure it was going to go. So I, I'm open to the idea of a TV series of this because I think it's a world that can be can be explored in detail then. Mission Impossible 8 will see actor Rolf Saxon, who played the CIA high security vault worker whose drink was spiked in that first film for the memorable descending from the ceiling to steal information. He, which character were he again? What happened to him? After Hunt stole the information, his head's insisted that he gets reassigned to a polar substation in Alaska by the end of the day. And with set images released by Macquarie this week, set at a polar ice station in Alaska, guess who sat there? Yes, the same guy, paying off a beautiful, long-played joke. I love the fact that Macquarie has referenced so much of the earlier films throughout. Yeah, yeah. He's made it feel like a... Because the first few films in particular, they, they were just one-off. They were standalones, weren't they? Yeah. But now he's put the connective tissue into them by referencing everything from the first, second and third films. Can't wait. Mission Impossible 8 later this year. Please, please, please. Let's see that do maverick numbers. Though it hasn't been seen to produce much recently. Cameron Crowe has been busy. He's uh, guiding a stage musical of his amazing film, uh, Almost Famous. His failure at the box office with Aloha and his Roadies TV series, which is pretty nice and is on Amazon, uh, has meant he's been out of the filmmaking spotlight for some time. Anyway, it's announced that he's back with a passion project, and that's one of the 70s classic folk singers, the icon uh, Joni Mitchell. Crow has been working with the 79-year-old music legend uh, to craft a film that will be more than just a standard biopic. Speaking of returns, Return to Silent Hill now has Jeremy Irvine from Treadstone and Hannah Emily Anderson from Jigsaw leading the cast of the new film, which is based on the Konami video game franchise. Filmmaker Christopher Gans, who gave us the 2006 film, the good film, is returning to the director's chair for it, which is due to begin shooting next month. Also just underway on shooting is Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. T currently titled Firehouse, which is the working title for this sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, it's still due out in December this Can't year. See it's it. only just started shooting. Can't see it's it. Not happening. No, no. Not happening. Not. Th this will be an Easter next year at the earliest. Interestingly enough, I was round at friend's house yesterday and their kids were watching 
the other Ghostbusters reboot, you know, the one that stars uh, Kristen Wiig. That one. <laughs> it, it's yeah. it's a mess, but it's it's quite enjoyable. And the kids definitely loved it, having not seen the original. Anyway, as we know, that film had uh, Kate McKinnon in it. She's joined the cast of a sci-fi film called In the Blink of an Eye. It's the second stab of a big screen live action movie uh, brought to us by Andrew Stanton, as who we know brought us John Carter. Cool. Keep a lookout for that. I'm keeping a lookout as well for developments on the Guillermo del Toro's live action Frankenstein film for Netflix, which has recently added Andrew Garfield, Oscar Isaac and Mia Goth. Ooh, good cast. To its casting. So it's del Toro doing what he does best with a great cast. I'm there for that. And Smile 2 has been officially greenlit. The first film grossed $216 million on a $17 million budget. It was no doubt that it was going to go for a sequel. And Apple's move into cinemas is progressing quite well. Next week, we'll see Tetris get a limited cinema release. But a new report has indicated that Apple is getting ready for a major push into theatrical releases. They're looking to spend $1 billion annually to produce more original films that will have a wide theatrical release in thousands of cinemas and running cinemas exclusively for one month before landing on the service. At the moment, they do a limited release alongside the streaming release. Um, given the quality of Apple, I think that they'll sit nicely within the cinema. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Jordan Peele's next film is to arrive in cinemas at Christmas 2024. We know nothing about it. No title, no concept. Is he going to be taking on Christmas? He's taking on other social issues so far. And in related news, he's also producing a new movie from another filmmaker via his Monkey Paw company. But again, we know nothing about this other than a release date of the 27th of September 2024. And that, folks, that's the news. And you know, Andy... In all of the uh, alternate multiverse universes, that the film file actually controls one of the metaverses itself. Sadly, not in this universe, because we want people to subscribe and come along and help us take over the world. Yes, join us in our quest to convert everyone to film geekery. All you have to do to do that, whatever service you're listening to us on at the moment, go onto it, find it, click that follow button, click that subscribe, click us a like post us a review this all helps the algorithm and it helps us dominate society and the geeks shall inherit the earth trust me on this one we can do this people if you're enjoying the show at the end of the day why aren't you subscribed yeah why not get subscribing and you'll know when the new episodes drop every week it's simple as that you can join us across all of the socials yeah we're on facebook yes we're on instagram yes we're on twitter yes we're on mastodon and just remember start chanting now one of us, one of us, one of us. Follow us on the socials or send us an email, podcast at filmfile.uk. Any thoughts, suggestions, ideas for films that you want us to look at, we're happy to hear from you. And now it's time for this week's musical deep dive. Dive, dive, dive. In keeping with our 1973 theme, which is, of course, the year of Andy's birth, we're heading into interesting territory. We're going to be talking about what has been classed as one of the worst films ever. In fact, a film in which Woody Allen said, If I could live my life again, I'd do everything the same, except for watching Lost Horizon. And Bette Midler famously quipped, I'll never miss a Liv Ullman musical. We're going to be talking about a film, despite all that, that I quite like. 
1973's The Lost Horizon. Lost Horizon begins with excitement, flows quickly into spectacular adventure, and finally reaches the beauty and serenity and music that is Shangri-La. Friendly doors open wide Come and share the peaceful life You will find inside Share the joy You're very beautiful. Very desirable. Like everything else beautiful that's happened to me here, I find it remarkable that it has happened to me here. And not out there. You know, I can't explain it, but everything seems familiar. There. Gold. The stream is full of it. So? We can smuggle it out, get those porters to help us. Correction, you bribe the porters. I got something better to do. Such as? Such as not sitting around worrying about how to spend money in a place where money isn't any good. Never heard of The Lost Horizon? It's a musical fantasy adventure film directed by Charles Jarrett. Starred a great cast. Yep, Liv Ullman not known for musicals. Peter Finch, not known for musicals. Sally Kellerman, <laughs> known for comedy and musicals. George Kennedy, not known for musicals. Michael York and Olivia Hussey, not known for musicals. Bobby Van, yeah, known for musicals. Charles Boyer, and of course, that musical star, John Gielgud. No, he's not known for musicals either. It was the final film produced by legendary producer Ross Hunter. It's a remake of Frank Capra's 1937 film of the same name, and it's adapted from James Hilton's 1933 novel, Lost Horizon, and it features the utopia known as Shangri-La. Where do we start, Andy? Lambasted by critics <laughs> in its release in 1973 as a reputation that hasn't really improved much. Its inclusion in the 50 worst films of all time. It's listed as a Golden Raspberry Award winner in the official Razzie's movie guide as one of the... 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. It was a box office bomb at the time, losing an estimated $9 million. The music by the great Burt Bacharach uh, led to the split with his longtime writing partner, um, Hal David. And yet, here we are talking about it. Yeah, this was one that I've never seen. This was a film that I've never got around to watch. <laughs> did did I force you into this? On the background, whenever we talk about potential, like, films to look at for deep dives he's he's mentioned this film quite a few times and he's always had a smile always had a smile on his smiling face. now and i've always wondered what that smile on his face was about and so i've watched this notoriously bad film and I'd, i've already seen the capra version from 37 i mean genius. that's an all-time classic it's an all-time classic and this new adaptation well it's this is an adaptation of that capra version given musical rather than readapting the book because it's things that have changed from the book to Capra's yep. version are exactly the same changes that are done in this. Yeah, it tells the story of a group of travellers who are escaping from a, a bloody revolution. The aeroplane crash lands in an unexplored area of the Himalayas where the party is rescued and taken to the lamasery of Shangri-La. Miraculously, Shangri-La, uh, sheltered by the mountains on all sides, is a temperature paradise uh, in the land of ice and snow. And people there are perfectly normal. In fact, the inhabitants live to a very old age while maintaining a youthful appearance. The book itself was the first thing. It, that was where the origin of like the whole idea of Shangri-La came from, which has inspired so many things through the ages, including Marvel yeah, comics yeah. with a... Iron Fist. Knowing the original Capra version, I approached this film 
wondering how it's going to hold up. And I quickly realized, don't try to compare it to the Kappa version <laughs> because this film is purely a relic of the... This this is this is the death knell of the hippie era. Let's be honest. Everything about it is like, whoa, the 60s didn't catch up with you in time and you need to come down off those drugs now because this is all over the place. It starts off quite serious and grounded and gritty and, you know, as the plane gets hijacked and you know they realize they're going in a different direction there's the drama between them there's no music no music except for the opening credit sequence and you think i was thinking isn't this supposed to be a musical when does it start and then they get to shangri-la and all of a sudden the music just is so ham-fistedly forced in there that it's just like i don't want this why have you done this to me i was enjoying it up to this point the music's great and don't get me wrong bacharach's music is really good but every scene that it's used in just doesn't work. And the choreography for the dancing is hilariously bad. Suffice to say, I had a lot more fun watching this See, than I think that I needed to have. <laughs> told you, told you, told you. You get Peter Finch who can't <laughs> sing and Liv Ullman who can't sing. So they are revoiced, which used to happen a lot in, in old musicals, <laughs> uh, revoiced by people who've got uh, got much better voices and, and, and they do that. It's it's a film. I'll tell you why it, it, it means a lot to me. I got taken to see it as a kid. It must have been 1973. I was on holiday. I can't remember the holiday, but it was one of those seaside cinemas. And I went with my mum and dad. And I just have such a fond memory of it, of going to the cinema and going to see this screening. Because it is quite lavish, even though it all looks like California as opposed to anywhere yeah. else. You know, it's a, it's an odd utopia because... Uh, oriental people are played by some are played by white actors <laughs> there, are, there are no people of color there so uh for certain sort of middle class americans it must be utopia but i i seem to remember having a great time with it i remember actually being scared by the ending when one of the characters and it used to be my go-to scare I remember it from Deadly Years episode of Star Trek where people age suddenly and it used to really frighten me as a, as a little boy. So I have a fond memory of going to the cinema and, and, and a very prevalent memory of going to the cinema. I saw this a few years later on, on television and it was pretty awful. But there was, I, th I think it was that childhood memory that I have of it that I, I, I'm, I'm not one to say this is just a piece of trash. It is a piece of trash, don't get me wrong. But there's something I like, and I do like the songs. I, in fact, own the soundtrack album, and there are two or three really good songs on that. Um, no, I'm not going to base it into song, but there are there are a <laughs> few um, really good songs in there. And I've always been a Bacharach fan, even though the film, according to his 2013 autobiography, nearly ended his musical career, stated that the songs worked were taken in isolation, but not in context of the film, ended the Bacharach and David partnership which was critical and financially successful. But it's, it is, I, I can't argue, it is a terrible, terrible film. Incredibly miscast, but there's something about it that I quite like. Michael York is in a completely different yeah, film Yeah, yeah, he takes it so else. seriously. I mean, maybe he was still in D'Artagnan mode. Yeah. Three Musketeers came out the very same year, but he's, he's, he's just completely not with it at all. Whereas everyone else is kind of like embracing the hippie aspects of um, Sangrila and getting into the sway of it. He's just like, no, I, I, maybe he was in. He was preparing for Logan's run. He was getting ready to run out of yeah. there. <laughs> you have um, Himalayans running after him going, runner. Like you say, the casting's weird. And I, I know that Pauline Kayoff of The New Yorker noted that Shangri-La was depicted as a middle-class generic utopia, 
where you can live it indefinitely, lounging and pushing about for hundreds of years. Orientals are kept in their places and no blacks amongst the residents. Yeah. There's probably no way to rethink this material without throwing it all away. Pointing out all the issues that it's got with the casting and the reflection of diversity within yeah, there, or lack it, yeah. of. John Gielgud popping up made me laugh immensely. As soon as he walked forward, I was like, that's not, is it? No. Oh my, it's John Gielgud. Everything about it is so terrible. Including the running time, it's 150 minutes. I mean, it totally <laughs> outstays its welcome. Talk about a film that sags in the middle of, of people just looking at each other. To be fair, though, once I'd embraced the fact that this was not a good film and I was just sat there to mock it and deride it and have fun, that time flew by. This is a film that you have to be in the right frame of mind for. Yeah. And by the right frame of mind, you need to accept that you are not watching a work of art. You are watching something which is an ungodly mess. And you can have... F I, it's still only a two out of five film. Yeah. Because it's not something that I'm going to thoroughly recommend to people. But if you're in the mood for something that is just tragically bad that you can poke fun at and have a laugh with go for this film because it's it's a joy i th this is this is lee's um like, i've got a film for my childhood like he said with his like he watched this at that early age and so there's a lot of nostalgia comes into it i'm going to get him back on this one in a future okay. deep dive I'm and i'm going to throw out empire of the ants i'll take it i'll take it that's my one that i watched when i was about eight or nine at the cinema and it's stuck with me ever since. And even though I know it's a bad film, I will rewatch it. But we'll get round to that at some point. Uh, but yeah, I can kind of get that, that, you know, you had it at that defining moment in your life. And so you can embrace it for that. But for me, coming to it blind as a 50-year-old man, once <laughs> I got into the fact that it was just nonsense cheese, I kind of got something from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There but is. It's, not, it's not a good film in any way, shape or form. The acting is terrible from some great names. The visual style of it is Flat. awful in an overproduced way. And the, the music is fantastic in the wrong places. Yeah. It's it's all over the shop. Hey, I mean, check oh, out check out the uh, soundtrack album. Uh, I'm, I'm going to share something. Um, I'm not going to tell you it is, but one of my major rock star friends got in touch with me and said, do you have the soundtrack to Lost Horizon? And can I have it? And um, you can see it, it, it is kind of eternal, but probably one of those films that stays best in memory than having, ever having to see it again. Andy, where can we find Lost Horizon if we do so wish to? It's not available for free on any services at the moment. Uh, and I'm not surprised. You can buy a version of it. If you go out, to, you can buy it on streaming at full price or you can buy DVD, etc. There is a version of it on the Internet Archive. So if you pop over there, there is a version preserved on there that you can watch on the, online. There are versions of it on YouTube, the really low grade quality. Look, if you're watching this film, don't diminish it even further by watching a low grade one. Try to get a good quality one. So pick up a, pick up a home purchase if you really want to watch it. We'll be back next week with another deep dive. And now it's time for this week's review. One film that we've seen together and a couple that Andy is going to talk fluently about. Shall we start with the film that we've seen together, Andy? Because it is the big release of this week. Yes, the main release of this week, John Wick, Chapter 4. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time behind enemy lines, so I got mine. I hope you 
If you win, the table will honor its words. So we'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm going to take what I want, so... Amen. Keanu Reeves returns as John Wick, who, after the end of Chapter 3, was seen to be shot, apparently left for dead, but is recovering under the watchful eye of the King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, pursued by hitmen sent by the shadowy syndicate known only as the High Table. John Wick looks to discover his freedom through a duel with the organization's marquee, but with a bounty on his head, which is forever rising, getting to this duel is never going to be easy in the world of John Wick. First thing I have to say, this film is just short of three hours. Mm. It's endlessly violent. It just never, never stops. It kind of, well, for now, brings an ending to the John Wick franchise. And it's without doubt one of the most audacious films that I've ever seen when it comes to on-screen action and violence. Yeah. Chad Stelsky directs, as usual. Um, the first film, we've come a long way since that first film. They, they almost like they're not, don't seem connected now when you look back on it because it was so straightforward. And, and even though it had visual elements to it, it's, it's certainly not as visual as, as the films have progressed to. On that first film, he was working with uh, David Leach who Leach has gone on to do his own thing and sort of embrace the comedy action genre a bit more. With with Bullet Train and Deadpool 2. Stelsky is clearly the solid... He, you can see he's got the influence of all the martial arts films that he grew up watching and all the action films that he loved. And he's wanted to bring a modern action martial arts adventure revenge thriller in multiple parts to the screen. And he's delivered. Over the course of the film, it's been great to see the visual style of the films grow oh, as the budget grew. In places. There's the and big this want... is the most beautiful. It is. The, the, the big wide shots that he, he chooses. And that's what I, I, I really mm. like about the way these films are made. Is he, is he shoots the action in wide. We don't get that Michael Bay cut in every four seconds. We see the action play out in these beautiful vistas. I'm thinking there's a, a yeah. couple of set pieces which are just absolutely gorgeous. Oh, the Tokyo Continental yeah. fight, using all the uh, Japanese architecture and lighting and like going from different contrasting rooms. Oh man, that was marvellous. And that's the thing is these are like work of beauty. Like you say, the long shots means that the fights, uh, you can see everything that's going on and they're so well choreographed. And Keanu Reeves giving it his all because he, He's not one who gets swapped out by a stuntman every five seconds. He does as much of it as he can himself. And that keeps it feeling real and grounded. And they go to real pains to to make you see that it's Keanu. Yeah. Uh, they, they never try to disguise him, never try to cover him up. It's like his face is going to be on display as much as possible because they want you to know that he's he's involved in this. Even when there's not fighting, the cinematography is beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, Stelsky working with Dan Lowston on the cinematography, they've made the whole film art. This is the most beautiful out of all the John Wick films. It's been growing this way over it, but this one, there's scenes inside like art galleries and like the, the whole lot of the framing is all the pictures on the wall and beautifully moving across as one person walks for about 45 seconds with nothing happening except for them just walking and you're just absorbed into it. Sunsets are displayed marvelously. One of the opening, early opening shots is horsemen riding out of the sun. And boy, 
did that just get me all geared up straight away? <laughs> it just taps into everything about cinema that I've loved, from great action to great looking stuff to a solid world built. I mean, the world building's been going on for two films, and this one has kind of like gone right now. We're settled into this world. We're just going with it, and we're still learning part of the rules of the secret societies that work in here. And no doubt, we're going to see more of them in various spin-offs that are coming. For a film that's two hours fifty. To get to the end of it and go, what? Is it finished already? Made me realise that solidly paced through from start to finish. I was thrilled from the start all the way through. Yes, Keanu Reeves isn't that great an actor. And he never has been, let's be honest. He's, 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 he's more driven by personality, isn't he, and charisma. Yeah, but he plays this kind of character really, really well. Simple Small bits of dialogue. He doesn't have a lot to say. He doesn't need to have a lot to say. He was Baba Yaga. He was the mysterious killer who could kill a man with a pencil. He doesn't need to be big on the speeches. He's got Lawrence Fishburne on hand to deliver speeches in bombastic and gusto ways. And boy, he chews scenery like the best of them. And of course, we need to mention Donnie Yen. Yeah, and and uh, I was going to about to say Donnie Yen. Uh, also, we'll talk a little bit about Scott Adkins as we as we move on. But but Donnie Yen is yeah. delicious in this role, and he plays a sort of tribute to. Well, you're you're looking at a Zatoichi and Chirrut meld. Yeah, Chirrut being the one from Star Wars. Yes, uh, but yeah, it, it's that it's that blind samurai kind of approach, given a modern slant. Yeah. And full of full of charisma, and and Scott Adkins, who you probably know, appears in movies like Doctor Strange, uh, is a is a leading man in a lot of sort of low budget action, completely unrecognisable, uh, and and just fun mm. as the enormous killer, uh, a murderous sized German equipped with metal teeth, just enough metal teeth to chew the scenery with every scene that he's in. There are moments of just just giddy joy. The reference to the movie War- the Warriors with the uh, uh, Unseen DJ, which I think I was probably the only person in that cinema who got that particular visual gag. If anything, this is plot-wise the slightest of all the John Wick movies. Uh, It really is just a series of set pieces. Hey, I'm not complaining. I think we we missed Derek Kolstad off this. He's taken a a backseat as only as series creator and and a a production credit and i think the the plot suffered a little bit on this because it is incredibly thin this time round. to say that i still absolutely enjoyed it it's not my favorite of of john wick's movies but I, i i still had a great time with it it's a masterclass in uh how to shoot action the god's eye view sequence which is again bombastic beautifully choreographed amazing to watch and let's not forget because i think it's 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 a highlight reminded me a little bit of gareth evans the raid which is the uh entire sequence set on the sacre Quare stairs uh mm. which paid off with this the best and silliest uh, uh gags that i've <laughs> i've ever ever seen but perfectly in keeping with the just the over the topness of the john wick world i, I had a i had a great time Bill Skarsgård was fantastic as the Marquis. Yeah, delightfully creepy. And Ian McShane was as wonderful as the character Winston that we've come to love. And we embrace Winston throughout these films, even at times over the series, where he seemed like he's been had his own agenda and been betraying John Wick. 
There's always been something there that's drawn you back and go, no, actually, he loves this this guy. This is great. The, all the characters are great. And let's close off the review just by also mentioning as this, this is a film series that the late Lance Reddick could proudly have had in his CV. Yeah. Um, he's in the film towards the start of it. There's a tribute holding card at the end of the film to dedicate the film in memory of him that they added on at the last minute after he sadly passed away. It was hard seeing him pop yeah. up on screen. He's kind of the heart of the movie to a degree. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful cast. Great action film. Keeps you engaged throughout. Well worth ticking that box, buying that buying that ticket and getting yourself in a seat. So Andy, anything as audacious as John Wick 4 in the rest of your reviews? Well, Infinity Pool landed this week and suffice to say, as a film with a Cronenberg name on there, I went in almost knowing what to expect, but didn't expect that. I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. Hi! You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money, then? He married Rich. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What? What did you say? Whilst on vacation, James Foster, played by Alexander Skarsgård, who's a writer struggling to find inspiration for his second book, and his partner, M, played by Cleopatra Coleman, meet another group of vacationers led by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, played by Mia Goth. However, after a tragic accident, the couple find themselves drawn into a world of hedonism, violence and horror when they discover some dark secrets the vacation location holds for those rich enough to partake in them. The plot synopsis doesn't tap into much of the film's dark and twisted storyline, and deliberately so, as this is one of those films where the less you know about it going in, the better. Pretty early on, the tale takes a sharp twist into the darker edges of reality and from that point becomes more and more twisted as it explores themes of social class, desire, obsession, technology, identity and moral codes in a glorious celebration of the darker edges of sanity. Brandon Cronenberg certainly lives up to that name, echoing so many similar themes that his father has presented throughout the years. But whilst David Cronenberg focuses a lot on the distortion of body, here, it's the corruption of soul that is explored more, albeit with a serious level of body horror on display. The strength of the cast aids the matters, with sometimes distant and cold representations of wealthy vacationers who flaunt laws because they can afford to get away with it. Skarsgård is, as ever, a strong central character, playing the downward spiral of a man who starts to lose himself, and indeed questions whether he actually is himself perfectly. As layers of his humanity and sanity are stripped away over the course of the film, his whole physicality begins to alter until he's less than a shell of the man he was at the start. Goth, on the other hand, plays someone who's already become so broken by the offerings of this vacation spot that she's now embracing the darker aspects and she manipulates and tortures others to recruit them into her group. There's an almost electric atmosphere on screen whenever she appears, and she switches from charm and seduction to sadistic and threatening with utter ease. 
sometimes disturbingly so. Visually striking, the film edges into darker and darker territory and provokes with flashes of imagery and lingering gazes on the more sadistic aspects to challenge the audience to question themselves whilst presenting the horror that Skarsgård's character endures, allowing us to also be broken in the same way that he is. Infinity Pool won't be to everyone's taste. Much like his father before him, Cronenberg's films can be off-putting and challenging due to their blunt and somewhat sordid fascination with humanity's worst sides. But this is a film that certainly takes that challenge and will leave you thinking on the themes long after the end titles have played out. And finally, your review for this week is... On Disney+, Plus, Boston Strangler, which sees Kira Knightley playing a true-life story of a journalist who investigates into the crimes of the Boston Strangler. I've not seen this version. I've seen the original version with, with Tony Curtis, who was astounding in the role of the Strangler himself. Jack, I think I found something. Three women were strangled over the last two weeks. I don't see the interest in the nobodies. Who do you think our readers are? And that's just it. Why would anybody go around killing three nobody women? And how do you plan to find that out? Well, let me profile the victims. See if there's any connection. Kid, you're not covering a homicide. Why not? Because you don't have any experience covering homicides. Well, how am I supposed to get any experience if you won't give me a shot? No. Oh, come on. It's slow. I'll do it on my own time. All right. But you're still on the lifestyle desk. Based on the true story of the Boston Strangler, who killed 13 women in the Boston area in the 1960s, this film focuses on the reporter who broke the story, Loretta McLaughlin, played by Keira Knightley, who faced down the sexism of the era, which was impeding on her investigation, resulting in her not being taken seriously, and being slowed down by a police force who didn't seem to want to accept the findings that she was uncovering. Alongside fellow reporter Jean Cole, played by Carrie Coon, she worked to combat the blocks in her way at every point, and despite threats levied at her during the investigation, she continued to dig to find the truth. Feeling like a somewhat zodiac light entry, this film doesn't quite reach the heights that the tale suggests, and it does feel a little flat at times. Knightley is, however, excellent in the central role of McLaughlin, and her presence at least works to keep you engaged with the tale as she uncovers more and more details that led to the uncovering of the story. But whilst the film does cover the investigation solidly, it lacks on emotional depth of any kind, and it just feels somewhat formulaic as a result. The film works well when it's about the piecing together of the clues, the uncovering of the secrets, but it suffers when it tries to shine a light on the personal lives of those involved. The result is that you're left wondering by the end if you should have just watched a documentary about the case instead. Stylistically presented, it does capture the era in looks, but in the end it's an easily forgotten film that whilst worth checking out, won't leave any lasting impressions in the way that the earlier adaptation in 1968, or indeed the aforementioned Zodiac from 2007, actually did. Okay, so that's what's out this week to watch. What's coming up over the next week to watch? So cinemas with it being Easter is quite busy. There's uh, the huge releases of uh, Mummies and Little Eggs African Rescue. That's not, that's not on my list. That's for your younger audiences. Yeah. But on limited release across the UK, like I've mentioned earlier, is Tetris. Big Lebowski is getting a 25th anniversary re-release. 25 years? No, can't be right. Can't be right. And the big release of this week, and it's expected to do well looking at pre-sales tracking, 
Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Looking forward to it. Now TV and Sky, if you missed it last year, you were probably lucky, but Minions Rise of yeah, Gru lands on there this week. On Netflix, if you missed the first one, you've got a chance to catch up before you watch Murder Mystery 2 with Adam Sandler. And over on Amazon, Perfect Addiction. And on Apple TV+, Plus, it's coming out to the cinemas of the same day. Take your pick, Apple TV+, Plus or cinemas for Tetris. And that, folks, basically takes us to the end of the show. Uh, but before we go, before we say our farewells, let's talk about our neat things. Stuff that we've enjoyed over the last week. Stuff that, uh, whether it's a meal, whether it's a movie, a book, you name it. As long as we think it was neat, we're going to tell you about it as our neat thing. Andy, your neat thing for this week. Right. I've had this as a potential neat thing for five weeks. And the reason why I've waited is because this has been a neat thing in previous years. Okay, I'm intrigued. But then it was it was one that I kind of thought uh, it wasn't that neat by the end of it as it went on. And that's Star Trek Picard. Mm. Now, season one, I threw in as a neat thing on episode two because it really grip, gripped me. And then it stumbled. And season one is very unmemorable. Season two, two episodes in, I put it as a neat thing. And then it stumbled and it fell apart. This latest season, every episode has gotten stronger as it's gone along. And the most recent episode has completely and utterly sold it to me. And the thing is, this third season, it's going to be the last season of Picard. But this could quite easily be a start of more spin-offs because it's been bringing all the next generation cast and crew back together, including Ro Luren, um was introduced yeah. back in for a very key part of it. And utilized really well and it gave her her character some some legacy closure it was marvelous to see it but i'm loving seeing these characters playing alongside each other again but their relationships have moved on because various factors have been have happened that they're not the perfect crew that they used to be but they're starting to become it again they're starting to realize that they are the family in space that you know they they were on so many missions together they were notorious this is what Picard should have been from season yeah, one. Yeah, I, I agree with that. They should have gone this approach at the start. I mean, I, I would say it's too little too late, but I don't think it's too little. I think it, I think it's got enough in there, and I think it's really exploring some good ventures. I just think that they should have started season one with this and then grown from this. But it's been marvellous to see. Jonathan Frakes has directed most of the episodes, and boy, he knows what he's doing. He's skilled as a director, particularly when it comes to his own passion, Star Trek. Seeing all of the crew coming back and also seeing loads of little easter eggs and nuggets especially in the latest episode the daystrom institute space station has so many little tiny background nods and references to classic trek and next generation that you could have a field day as a fanboy like me but i am thoroughly enjoying it this year and it's only got a few more episodes to go so i think i can quite safely say that this is a neat thing that i am not going to get to next week and think, oh, I want to retract that one because it's suddenly gone bad. It's looking like it's ramping up to a really good finale. The main villain in it, well, the villains, for those who have not watched it, I'm not going to tell you what's actually going on, but I will say there's one recurring villain character who is an absolute joy to watch. Yeah, Star Trek Picard. If you if you kind of zoned out on season one and two and you thought, oh, I'm not bothered, give this third one a chance because you might find that you can tap into it. I'm, I'm not enjoying it quite as much as you are. I am enjoying it. Uh, one thing I just want to point out on sort of the back end of that is how good Jonathan Frakes is in that show, because he was always pretty stoic yeah. throughout the series. And not that he wasn't unimpressive in Next Generation, 
But I think in this is just how much charisma he brings mm. to the screen. I think that's been an, an absolute turnaround for me within this. I think we didn't always see it in the TV series. It was always very solid. Uh, but I think in this, he, yeah. we've, we've seen that how good an actor he is and how charismatic he is. Anyway, for me, uh, my neat thing. So we've been talking about the film Lost Horizon and we've said, you know, it's pretty terrible. But what isn't terrible is the soundtrack. Now, I mentioned during our deep dive that I have a lot of fun with the soundtrack. Uh, and so because I didn't want to watch the film again, as stated, I didn't want it to to blight this, the, the wonderful memory I have as a kid going to see it and going to the cinema. Uh, I did listen to the soundtrack uh, to the album just to get myself back into the frame of mind. And I've always been a big fan of, of Burt Bacharach. My musical taste is huge from, from heavy rock to funk to to pop uh, to easy listening. I, 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 I love music and, and I love this album. It's it's patchy. It's not the greatest songs that Burt Bacharach and Hal David ever wrote. There was a few classics on there which found life outside of the film, uh, particularly Sean Phillips as opening song Lost Horizon, which I think is great. Uh, Richard Harris went on and recorded uh, If I Could Go Back for a TV special that he did. But Bacharach did uh, a track with Herb Albert and Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye did The Things I Will Not Miss, which is which is a great song. So some of the songs are really, really stand out and have found a life outside of this film. But it's a it's a good album. And as I said before, I've shared it with one of the biggest rock stars in in the world. And we all agree that if you put it on, your toes will be tapping. And that, folks, is us for this week. Andy, any big plans for the week? Oh, you've got a day off, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, they'll let me, I've let myself have a day off, so I'm going to get some sleep, I think. No major plans. I'm just looking forward to Dungeons & Dragons. The big geeky nerd in me is so excited. Yeah, me too. Film. It looks a lot of fun. I think, I think the trailers have sold it, even though... It's not a, a world that I know, particularly Dungeons and Dragons, but I, I'm I'm sold, and I'm, I've now got into this thing of bringing the child to the cinema, and he's had a pretty rough week, which I'm not going to go on to in a way that a, a ten-year-old boy shouldn't have to go through, and our trips to the cinema become uh, become part of our bonding relationship, and and also a little bit in the way to healing. So um, that's us. We'll be back next week, but if we've not found the heaven within. We've not found the heaven without. Bye, film geeks. And if you're a film geek, geek. And if you're a film geek, listen on. Not sure what geek has to do with it. I geek. It's like cake. <laughs> I like cake. I like cake. Yeah. <laughs> this is what my this is what my unsleep my unsleep is that a word? <laughs> oh, get out of town. That won't make it. That's no. that's getting cut. That won't even make it on the outtakes. We can't do that one. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, embrace, yeah. your, embrace your mistakes. I told Kerry yeah. that last night and she hugged me. <laughs> dive, dive, dive. Dive, dive. <laughs> yeah. Insert trailer. Insert gunshots. <laughs> Just keep that in. Stabby. Right. So I'm just uh, reenacting moments from the film here. <laughs>